Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Brian LaFell, Global Head of Customer Success Strategic Programs at Looker and advisor at First Round Capital. In this episode, we talked about the importance of specializations within a customer success team, at what stage you should look into hiring team members with specific skills, and actionable steps to bring your success team onto a specialized path. We also discussed how customer success teams can start using data to decide their actions, why quantitative data is not enough, and how to assess and classify risks to set up the team for success. Brian also shared how to conduct exit interviews with churning customers more effectively, how customer success should work closely with product teams, and who Brian thinks should own retention within a company. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, good to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. So for the listeners, uh, Brian is a senior manager of customer success at Looker and an advisor at First Round Capital, where he helps early stage SaaS companies build out their supports and customer success functions. Uh, Looker is a data analytics tool, which was very recently acquired by Google for $2.6 billion. And Brian was hired at Looker's first account manager in 2014 and has since then morphed the account management team into a team of specialists across CSMs and renewals focused in two primary segments. So uh, my first question for you, Brian, is like, what has been the biggest change uh, since the Google acquisition at Looker? You know, we, we've been getting a, a lot of those questions uh, from, from candidates that we've been working with uh, to recruit right now. But, um, you know, it's actually been status quo, surprisingly. Um, you know, not much has changed. And the reason for that is that, you know, one, the deal has not closed quite yet. Um, but two, we have had, you know, orientation at Google. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, we see a very close alignment of culture, of go-to-market fit, uh, the style of customers. We already share, uh, I think, about 350 customers between GCP, excuse me, and, and Looker. Uh, so, you know, there hasn't been, you know, too much change quite yet. The biggest thing that we are really planning for is, you know, what does our customer base look like if it's to, you know, double, triple, quadruple? Uh, the GCP sales team is, is vast and they've got offices all over the world. So we have to start thinking about, you know, further, how do we scale our customer success efforts? So, I mean, that's one of the biggest things on our radar. Yeah, I can see how that's going to explode as well for you and must be a next layer of challenges. 
but I'm interested. So you're starting out in 2014. Obviously, I think a lot has changed uh, since the early days and uh, since getting started. Uh, maybe you want to talk us through some of that transitional period and uh, like maybe pick two key moments that you felt like where the, the account management team and customer success really had a pivotal moment at Looker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going back to the early days in, in 2014, um, so it was actually surprising. I mean, I had a very strong foundation to, to build from when I came on in 2014. Uh, while I was the first uh, customer success manager or account manager back then, as we called them, uh, we actually had a strong foundation in kind of onboarding and support. And those teams had been developed uh, under the pre-sales motion. Um, we actually run something a little bit different than most SaaS companies. We actually run a hands-on trial uh, for about a three to four week period. Uh, and that sets the foundation for, for two things. Really, we want to understand and vet, is this customer the right fit for Looker? We understand that there's a long uh, and uh, you know, potentially uh, capital intensive or hourly intensive implementation. So we want to make sure that that customer is mature enough uh, to roll Looker out. And so we invested heavily in kind of that onboarding experience. And then the second thing was, is that you know, our, our CEO uh, at the time um, and, and founder, Lloyd Tab, he had this, this vision that he didn't want our customers to ever get stuck. And he, he you know, preached that through and through at all of our uh, company all hands uh, in the early days. And so our support team, we actually call them, it's something kind of quirky and fun, but they're the department of customer love. Uh, and we actually have live support chat that we run uh, 24 hours a day, five days a week, um, and they're available within the application. And so, you know, going back to the early days, it was, it was you know, uh, uh, instrumental for, for me to come in as a, an account manager to have such great, like, foundational teams that were already, you know, put in place. Um, but, you know, kind of going back to the early days of, of 2014, uh, one of the things that, you know, was, was very, you know, trans, transformational for me was just the, the usage of, of data. Now, obviously, we're a data company, and we like to eat a lot of our own dog food, and so we actually have a lot of dashboards and things set up. But... Um, you know, the importance and stress on, on uh, data usage uh, and, and data integrity across the team was, was critical to our, our team's success from the very, very early days. Um, and that's, you know, carried through all the way to now, you know, as we get into kind of scaling uh, the business today into, you know, thousands and thousands of customers, um, you know, we actually have data uh, that we're collecting at every stage of the lifecycle across many different data sources. And that stems from our CRM, Salesforce, uh, Zendesk, our support tool, our own in-house event collection system. And we're kind of aggregating all of that with Looker dashboards on top. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that, that was trans transformational for me in coming in as a, a CSM or account manager uh, first into Looker was just seeing the importance. Every meeting was run with, with uh, information data. Every customer interaction was run with data. Uh, and, and that was one thing that really empowered everybody in the customer success and account management team to very take, take a very quantitative approach. Uh, and, and I think it set the foundation for us to be successful uh, later as a customer success organization. Um, you know, the second, the second time that comes to, to mind in terms of kind of like a transformational element is, is realizing the need for specialization. Uh, when we were in the early days, we definitely were hiring some, some people that were jack of all trades, right? These, these were people that were, had experience in being entrepreneurial. They had experience in data analytics. Uh, they had experience in working with customers. Uh, but we realized that hiring somebody that has experience in, you know, renewal negotiation and expansion pricing and, you know, product engagement, adoption, uh, project management skills, it's like trying to hire a unicorn. Uh, and that's where we really doubled down. And that was probably about two years in when we really started to focus and hone in on the emphasis of the customer success management organization. Um, and so that 
level of specialization was again transformational for us because it allowed us to start hiring in specialists. Um, and so that was right around maybe about the, the I don't know the fifty million dollar AR mark. Um, and I, I would have liked to specialize a little bit earlier, but I would say those are kind of the two areas that, that really were, were pivotal for us. Um, one was that emphasis and that focus on, on data from the very, very beginning. And the second was just making that realization that, you know, you really have to specialize uh, once you get to a certain point in the business. Okay, well, so <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here, and I want to make sure we can uh, pull everything out of it that's going to be interesting. So the first step, um, talking a little bit about data and how important it is, and I really love the fact as well that I could look at you eating your own dog food, but let's get a little bit more specific in terms of like the types of dashboards that you were looking at in the early days. Like Maybe you could just walk us through like uh, one or two of your key dashboards and what information you're looking at these, in these dashboards and how are they being used within the, the CSM organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I do want to start and caveat this that, you know, based on the maturity of every CS organization, every business, uh, your data will, will be uh, on a journey with you as you grow your business. When we started in the very early days, we were looking at spreadsheets. Uh, and, and it took us a while to actually get all of the data that we needed from our source systems into our centralized data warehouse to build dashboards on top. And so, you know, for, for a lot of the younger and smaller and, and uh, more nimble companies out there, like starting it even in that approach and kind of getting all of that information qualitatively, if you have to, uh, into a spreadsheet, like that's a good place to start because that gave us a lot of logic to then build on uh, the customer success dashboards that we have today. Um, now, as, as I mentioned, we've kind of matured our, our data organization uh, in, the, in the following years. Um, but we think about our dashboard content at three different levels. The, the first is the kind of the highest level. That's the 50,000 foot view. And we have kind of a, uh, a customer success wide dashboard. Now, the customer success team at Looker is comprised of support. It's comprised of renewals, the CSM organization, our scaled customer success organization, and knowledge management. Uh, so those are kind of the five key departments. Each one of those departments have certain KPIs that they're aiming to achieve. And this dashboard at the highest level kind of presents all of those metrics to somebody like my boss, who's the global VP of customer success, uh, Wayne McCulloch. Now, zooming in on kind of the dedicated CSM's uh, uh, set of dashboards, um, we actually have a portfolio pulse. That is the, the dashboard that our CSMs are using operationally. This is similar to what you might you know, uh, uh, encounter in something like a Gainsight cockpit. Uh, but it's aggregating lots of different information about a CSM's portfolio and all of the customers within that portfolio. Now, the information on that dashboard is you know, uh, made up of a lot of different data points. We've got usage information coming in from our own product. We've got Zendesk support information, so we can see how they're interacting with our support team on live chat. We've got NetSuite information that actually shows how we're building and collecting things. There's uh, probably nine or 10 different source systems that we look at in this uh, uh, kind of summarized view. Um, and that would be kind of like in that mid-level uh, category of dashboard, right? How do I, as a CSM, take action on my portfolio? And then the, the most granular, the most zoomed in piece of data content that we have is a very you know, specific and targeted um, piece of data content, like our customer lookup. If I want to see and drill into everything about a particular customer, we're able to zoom in on that one customer and see you know, what release they're on or what features they may be using or not using. And those are the kind of dashboards that we're using to drive a lot of our QBR conversations. So I would say those are kind of like the three that we look at kind of uh, most today. Very interesting. And so you have those sort of three different levels and each level you go down deeper, it's getting more specific and more focused uh, within the org and within like at a user or an account level. Absolutely. 
Um, so I, I like as well that you pulled out that caveat uh, that it depends on the level of maturity and the stage that the company's at. And you alluded to like a couple of things that uh, teams should get started with is getting set up with uh, sheets and pulling in like data, even if it has to be qualitatively. Um, what are some other best practices like you recommend teams wanting to get started, like being able to track their progress and uh, use data to influence some of their decisions and their actions? Like, what else would you advise a team getting started? I would say, you know, more data is, is always better than less data. Um, and if there's anything about your customer that you can collect and store, like absolutely do so. Even if it means that you have to fly out to visit a customer on site. Um, one of the things that, that I was tasked with when I came on board in 2014, it was actually a funny scenario, and I'll, I'll go on a tangent for just a few seconds here. But, um, you know, my, my, my CEO actually came uh, on board and was like, Brian, you know, we've got about 40, 50 paying customers, and we sold them about a year ago. We've been supporting them with our support organization, but we haven't talked to them in 12 months. <laughs> Get on a plane and go fly out and meet with every one of those customers. And I still have photos uh, where I was on a trip with my uh, VP of product. And he and I went to New York and it was in the middle of the snowstorm. And we, we went and literally visited, I think it was 24 customers in five days. And we went and visited, we got all of their feature requests. We, we captured all the bugs that they were running into. Uh, we looked at their maturity of usage with the platform by like witnessing firsthand how people were navigating the product. And, and those, those uh, initial meeting blitzes, what I called them, we're like instrumental in understanding how the customer base was adopting our software. It, could we keep that up? Absolutely not. But in the younger ages, that was one of the best ways for us to capture data. And it was able to validate a lot of the information that we were seeing quantitatively with our event collection system, right? Perhaps we might be noticing that a, a certain customer is using a lot of a certain feature. Um, maybe, you know, that's because they love the product and they love that feature and that's, that's wonderful, right? An alternate reality could be, you know, they're using the product so much in that particular feature because they don't know how to use it and they are yeah. just constantly running into challenges and frustrations. And so by going literally and validating a lot of the things that we assume to be true, it, it, like I said, that drove a lot of the product direction for, for the next 12, you know, 18 month period. Um, and so again, coming back to the, the points of, you know, if you were to get started, uh, obviously get on a plane, go visit customers, validate your assumptions, um, and realize, you know, when you are actually starting to collect this information about customers, um, it's got to be a balance between quantitative and qualitative. Um, we, you know, we try to look at both hand in hand. Um, and in the early days, we were very quantitative and usage based. And I think it proved immature to, to be to be totally honest and frank with you. We had customers that had a usage health score of 95%. That was still churned. And we were like, yeah. why is this? What is going on? Like, what, what is happening here? And come to find out, we, we actually had to mature our thinking of, you know, hey, a customer may be using the product, and that is one way that they could be engaging with our brand. But there's, there's so many other ways that you can validate a relationship between a client and, and, uh, uh, or a customer and their vendor, right? And so I think that's one of the ways that, that we're, we're, we're starting to balance uh, both the qualitative and quantitative. And that's kind of incorporated in our uh, new overarching kind of customer fitness score. Um, but again, in the early days, you know, get out on a plane, visit with customers, validate some of the quantitative assumptions you have, capture those validative uh, or, or those qualitative um, elements with your customer relationships. And it, it'll be very, very telling as to how your customer base feels about your product. Yeah, and I, I love what you say as well in saying that in the early days, maybe you got it wrong by being focused too heavily on quantitative data because... 
uh, it's an interesting point that you don't often think about as well. Is like you may see usage uh, like going really well in an account, very heavy, but it could also mean that something's going wrong in that account and they're not getting what they're looking for. So uh, using sort of like the quantitative data to influence like some of the qualitative research and things that you try and uncover with your customers is, is critical. Um, so next as well, then you started talking a little bit about your second point was really around specialization and uh, you wish you had done it earlier, you said. Um, what are some of the areas, like walk us through, you mentioned five, but maybe you want to talk us through the different areas and what their key focus is in specialization within the team. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we, when we were uh, a smaller company, as I mentioned, we, we hired a lot of these kind of jack of all trades uh, um, customer success folks. I would say the one area of, of uh, expertise that was very, very specialized was our support organization. Um, now, you know, when we think about specialization within the customer success group at, at Looker, you've got, you know, I can kind of cycle through the various departments, but you've got a renewals team that is focused on, you know, retention. They're the people that are working on license compliance. They're ensuring that we have a lot of our renewals in on time, uh, under budget, things like that. You have the CSM and our, our scaled organization. So we actually break up kind of our field engagement team into you know, the dedicated CSMs uh, that manage a, a defined portfolio. And then you've got the scaled organization. And the scaled organization is managing you know, hundreds of customers per customer success specialist. Um, and their focus is very, it's very quantitative. It is, you know, how can I look at data about these customers to understand where they're going uh, off track? Um, in the dedicated realm, it's more around, you know, how can I build a, a very deep relationship with this large enterprise customer account to broaden the, uh, the breadth and the depth of usage of our product uh, and do so that, you know, drives up license utilization. Uh, we've got some customers that are that have purchased, you know, over a hundred thousand seats of of Looker. How do we make sure that all of the people that have purchased a license are actually adopting the platform in ways that they've expected, and and that they're getting value from the software? Um, we also know that you know the customer success team, or, you know, CS uh, customer success specialists, CSMs, renewals managers, the support organization. Yeah, that's a lot of people. I mean, I think the last tally that we have, we've got about 120 people across the entire CSG organization within within Looker. And so that requires that we maintain a lot of um, uh, education for all of these field uh, um, employees. And that's where our knowledge management team comes in. They're the people that are responsible for, you know, educating both the internal teams at Looker on how, you know, certain new features are, are rolled out and what to consider. Um, and then also how to educate our customers. And so that team is absolutely critical for enabling the, the broader team to grow and scale. And then finally, that, that last kind of organization that I talked about was our Department of Customer Love, the, the support organization. These are the people that are focused on the tactical, um, somewhat maybe technical, and maybe syntactical issues that come up with our product. Um, Looker, don't get me wrong, it is, a, uh, it is an enterprise piece of complex software. Uh, and we deploy in a hybrid fashion as well. So we've got some customers that are deployed in their own cloud. We've got a lot of customers that we host in our own cloud. Um, but that introduces complexity in some of the customer relationships. And so our, our support organization uh, are the specialists in really deep diving into uncovering what are some of the technical issues that customer is having, um, reporting bugs and having a strong tie into our engineering product and design group. Uh, and they're kind of the, the technical specialists. So those are kind of like the, the five broad teams. 
Yeah, very nice. And like it definitely so, uh, sounds like you've got a really well-structured uh, focus for each team and for each area. Uh, in terms of like uh, retention and renewals, like where and how do each of these teams play a part? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I would say that the CSM, the uh, account executive that we actually partner with in our sales organization and the renewals manager make up the comprehensive kind of account team. Um, and, and that's really what we, you know, how we think about engagement with our customers. Uh, the account executives, the CSMs, the renewals managers, they're all on a team together. Uh, and we promote a lot of collaboration. One of, what, one of the ways that we do that is through a dedicated customer Slack channel. We have an internal Slack channel for every one of our customers. Does it make our Slack instance a little bit you know, crazy to search? Absolutely. But is it worth it? <laughs> Immensely. Uh, we have had so much collaboration across the account executives, the uh, CSMs, the renewals managers, but um, you know, it all takes place in a one centralized hub. And we post you know, customer data in there, we'll post contracts in there, we'll have conversations about how best to drive value for customers. And so that is one tactic that's really, really helped in terms of a point of collaboration. Um, but in terms of actual engagement through the life cycle, the account executive is all about positioning value. They're the people that are the ones that are demonstrating value in the trial uh, and they get the customer to sign a contract. At that period of time, you know, we have a professional services organization that helps with onboarding, but the CSM is also introduced. Uh, and that's where we want to ensure that the CSM is, is tasked with ensuring that customer is realizing value. So again, we're trying to orient everything that we do around life cycle and value for the customer. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, when it, when it gets to actual, you know, the, you know, what step is it that the customer actually renews? Um, that's the value confirmation step. And that is making sure that the customer is actually achieving that value. So about 90 days prior to the, uh, the renewal date itself, the renewals manager is going to reach out to both the CSM, the AE to understand kind of the landscape of the renewal. What are any potential blockers, uh, legal um, sales or otherwise, and ensure that we have an on-time renewal, right? And so the AE is all about the positioning of value. The CSM and the professional services organization is all about uh, realizing that value. And then the renewals managers come in about 90 days prior to renewal to ensure that we're, you know, um, you know, getting that value confirmation from the customer themselves. Very nice. And in terms of like targets for these different teams and goals, like how would you say you use retention as, is it a goal for all three? Is it a goal for anyone individually? Is it like, do you measure it at the team level? Um, how are you looking at it? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. So I, I can confidently say that, you know, customer success management and renewals management compensation plans uh, is, is very nascent. Uh, we have had, uh, let's see, four compensation plans in five years in the time that I've been at, at Looker. So we're, we're evaluating a lot of things and it, and it will change based on the maturity of business. Um, but that said, retention is at the center of, of basically everything that we do at, at Looker. Uh, an example of that is, you know, our account executives actually have a portion of their uh, commission that's held back um, until the customers actually realize value. Uh, and so we make sure that we, you know, make sure that the, the account executive feels accountable to positioning the value. And then they're able to see that value through um, once it's realized with the customer. And that'll be at the end of kind of the onboarding, the launch phase. The renewals managers have a gross retention target. Uh, and so that is something that they're trying to renew customers as much as possible. And then the CSMs, the people that are making sure that we're realizing that value, expanding value, they're based on dollar-based net retention, of which retention is a key and core component of that metric. So that's how we kind of, you know, have retention sitting at the center of basically every field facing organization. 
and then you have just the the aligned goals sort of uh, behind them more specific to the teams and what the actual goal is absolutely yeah absolutely i mean as the csms for example right they're trying to drive up you know uh, partnership with our sales organization we also have other uh, mbos that we set up on a quarterly basis and as an example of that we actually have our user conference coming up in november so an mbo here is you know get invites out to all of your customers about our upcoming user conference so we balance mbos across each of these teams but we make sure that retention is a is a key uh, uh, metric across all teams very nice. Uh, and let's talk about as well, like the different stages. So you mentioned like the 50 million ARR mark is when you really sort of uh, started specializing. But you, you said before that probably should have been better. Like if you had to pick like two or three stages where you feel a um, customer facing team needs to start evolving and adapting, like at what sort of size would you say that is? And what would be some of like maybe one of the first two changes you would make in a team after the early days? Uh, like initially where you, everyone's just doing everything and uh, there's no specialization. Like what would be one of the first two areas like a team should start thinking about specializing in? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. It goes back to my comment that I made previously about data. Um, one of the things that, that we really focused in on is uh, making sure that we had good data to support all of the organizations. Um, and so, you know, when I talk about specialization, it also means laying the foundation for other specialist teams to, uh, to be effective. And, you know, I think that, you know, one of the things that I, it was a, a mistake on my part was, you know, maybe we could have specialized a little bit earlier, but I also would have liked us to build a better foundation with the knowledge management function, with the analytics function to better enable future CSMs to come on board and, and thrive and have all of the tools that they need to be successful. Um, I would say right around that 25 to $50 million mark is where I would have liked to have that sweet spot of, of two things. You know, one, really set the foundation and have a team set up for future CSM success. Uh, and then two, um, really start to hire uh, specialists. But I, I, I want to make sure that it's also, it doesn't go unsaid, one of the things that we really have to focus focus in on right around that stage that I wish I would have done sooner is, is really define roles and responsibilities. As you are really starting to introduce these specialists, you're moving from a generalist to a specialist type role, and you're starting to get a lot more codified in what this person does day to day. Now, when you do that, you're going to have lots of different cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. So how do you know when the renewals manager should take lead in a conversation versus a CSM versus an account executive versus a support person? Um, actually having that kind of matrix of responsibilities is absolutely one thing that as you're starting to move into the specialist role, start to define like what are the core responsibilities of each uh, uh, role um, of, of these, the field facing teams um, and how they're going to work effectively together. Yeah, I can see that getting very messy very fast as well. If you have all these different specializations, everyone trying to make sure that they're keeping in touch with the customer and they're doing their end of the bargain. Uh, but then at the other side of the coin is like not being too heavy and not being too pushy on the customer side. Uh, is this something that Slack helped with as well quite a bit? Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the things that's the connecting fabric between all field-facing teams is, again, data and Slack. <laughs> we, we have dashboards set up at, you know, for every department um, on how they can better understand our customers and how they're using the product, uh, what their, their fitness or, or health score is. Um, and then the way that we you know, typically collaborate is all done through Slack. Um, we actually have all of our content hub linked there as well. So another tactic that we use is we'll pin certain things about that customer, the contract, the customer notes, all of those things happen in Slack. 
Um, and so again, we feel like it's a really lightweight way as we've grown kind of globally. Um, we've had more of a distributed team, but Slack has been that connecting hub for us. Very nice. Um, so uh, next question I want to ask is maybe it's a little bit of a hypothetical uh, scenario type question. I think you might have heard it before, but uh, let's pretend uh, you get thrown into a new job now. Um, you arrive at this company and churn retention is not doing so good. Uh, and you've been asked to try and turn things around. They're giving you three months to do some to do so and to try and make an impact. Like, what would be some of the first key things that you would want to do at this company? Yeah, it's a it's a really good question. And the first thing that I would want to do is seek to understand. Um, you know, depending on the level of maturity of this company, uh, there might be a lot of data, both quantitative and qualitative, about this customer. Um, there could be none. And one of the things that I've found to be really impactful at at Looker is really going through and almost acting like a uh, like a crime investigator, you know, let's go back and really trace back, like, what was the initial point of risk that, that these customers, when they ended up churning, why was that? Or if this user ended up having a bad experience and ended up leaving the platform, can we go back and talk to them? Um, and that would be one of the things that I would want to do to come up with some conclusions and some hypotheses about, you know, why these customers might be leaving. It's really just start to do that investigatory work on, you know, the customer data that, that might be present or there might be a complete lack of. Uh, and then the other thing that I would do is engage an outside consultant to actually talk with those customers that left. I've found that, you know, when you try and go and do a, you know, and, and maybe other CS leaders have, have run into this, uh, when you actually go and try and do some sort of exit interview with a client, they may not give you all of these like very juicy and real answers. Um, and paying a consultant to go and talk to each one of these customers and have a very real conversation and seeding that conversation with a couple of key questions that I might want to understand. Um, I can provide that to the consultant. The consultant can go and have an unbiased, you know, conversation and presumably you're going to get a much more real uh, answer that will give you kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts of why that customer left. So I think that if you're able to have that kind of outside validation of going and having a third party talk to these customers that left uh, and marrying that with whatever information you have internally about why you felt this customer left the platform in the first place, it's give you a really good starting point to kind of you know, quantify where there are areas of, of impact that can be made in a relatively short period of time to impact that churn result. Absolutely. And I think like you, you nailed it as well in terms of the unbiased uh, view, because that more often than it as well, uh, internally, we all have our own ideas of our product and how it works and what are the reasons for churn and retention. Uh, so typically we bring those biases in with us into these interviews and uh, having maybe a third party, like you say, is, is a nice refreshing uh, look at it as well. And uh, it could be very interesting in terms of what you uncover, especially when people feel a bit more comfortable in giving their feedback because it's not directly to to the company or to the individual. Absolutely. Cool. So uh, within an organization then as well, Brian, like who do you think, uh, who do you believe in your opinion should own uh, churn and retention? If anyone. You know, I, I think it is a metric that that customer success should own. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that, you know, the customer success industry in general uh, is trying to uh, not fight for, potentially, but potentially evangelize is the impact that we're having. And so much of what the CSMs are doing on a day-to-day -day basis and the customer success organization is doing on a day-to-day -day basis is intertwined with the retention and expansion of customers. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of biased because I've had this, you know, perspective at a few companies, but every, you know, company that I've been at thus far, the CS organization has owned a, uh, either a dollar-based net retention target 
So including the retention and expansion or just simply the retention target. Um, and, and both, I think, can be highly effective mechanisms to prove that you know, effectiveness to the rest of the company and you know, kind of understand and, and evangelize the impact that customer success is having. Um, so again, that's, that's kind of my you know, potentially biased uh, point of view, but I think the yeah. customer success as, as a department should certainly own the retention and uh, dollar-based net retention metrics. When it comes to expansion, that could be something that is shared with sales like we have at Looker. Um, but again, I don't want to have the CS organization stray away too far from uh, any sort of monetary metrics, right? We want to make sure that we're close to showing impact. Yeah. And, and then how do you sort of weigh that in when it comes to like the impacts that product or marketing can have on the metric? And how do you sort of keep your team motivated potentially as well at the same time if some of these factors are outside of their influence as well? Yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good component. I mean, one of, one of the things that we've started to do uh, at, at Looker is really get better about codifying risk and whether that risk is regrettable or non-regrettable. Um, you know, I think that there are some elements where, you know, there's going to be some sort of churn that happens and it's going to be non-regrettable risk and, and churn. And, you know, whatever we do, no matter what, you know, that CSM does in the field, they could be the best, most active CSM in the world. And there could be an environmental shift. Let's say that that customer is acquired or, you know, the company goes bankrupt. That's certainly going to be out of the CSM's control. And I think that, you know, for myself, one of the things that as a, as a leader at Looker, I need to evangelize what are the things uh, that our CSMs are doing to impact that regrettable churn and risk and highlight those stories and make sure that we're, you know, you know, telling the rest of the company and the rest of the, of the customer success department how great a job we're doing at impacting that regrettable risk on things that we can impact. Because inevitably, there is going to be a natural rate of attrition, regardless of what kind of software you're selling. You're always going to have customers that churn that are out of your control. And I think that that's, that's up to, to yourself as leaders to understand what a, a, an acceptable amount of percentage of churn is uh, and benchmark that. Um, and just realize and tell the team and be real, you know, look, we may expect to see, you know, two to 3% annually that are just going to churn regardless of no matter what we do. Uh, and let's just get comfortable with that. Yeah, makes it makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, and I like the way sort of how you quantify um, the acceptable versus the regrettable um, when it comes to sort of how you can act and measure your team. Mm -hmm. so, so next as well, quickly then is I'm interested in hearing like you've been going at this for quite a long time and um, you've obviously worked in the customer success space and have a vast experience. Like for you, what has been one of the most surprising things like you figured out or like maybe an aha moment when it came to churn and retention uh, throughout your career? Uh, yeah, I, I, there are so many different interesting takeaways that, that I could go into. But I mean, I think that one of the things that has been, um, you know, one of the most eye-opening kind of lessons for me is the importance and the interwoven relationship between product uh, engineering and, and customer success and churn and impacting uh, the churn results. Um, when we were doing a lot of this new risk uh, classification, when we were talking about how we categorize our churns and things like that, a tremendous category for us were feature requests and, and bugs that were impacting our customers. Uh, and so by doing that analysis, it, it became very, very clear that, you know, we were doing a very poor job of interfacing with the product and engineering team and prioritizing the things that were really impacting the outcomes for our customers. And so, you know, that was one of the major takeaways is that, you know, when we actually think about this, and you're seeing this in the industry as well, right? You'll notice that 
uh, Gainsight is launching kind of like a product analytics uh, feature within their Gainsight product, right? Um, that, that is, it, it's something that I think is going to continue and permeate throughout customer success is you'll start to see things like, you know, product managers become CSMs and vice versa, CSMs becoming product managers. Um, but that is a very tight knit relationship. And from the very early days, you need to build and foster the relationship you have with product um, to ensure that, you know, any sort of rock that gets in the way of a customer achieving an outcome, you're able to have a very direct and real conversation and, and be able to quantify that impact and potentially mitigate any sort of churn risk. Um, so again, that's something that we're absolutely still building and refining uh, here at Looker, but it's, it's a massive takeaway for me, which is, you know, how interwoven those two teams are. Yeah, and I can definitely see as well, like just from your comments in terms of how uh, you believe CSM should own the churn metric when you say things like, um, we're doing a bad job of communicating to engineering product team of what needs to be fixed. Because uh, typically maybe it would be the opposite way around, whereas like products not doing the things we need them to do. It's more around like, this is our job to make sure we fix general attention. These are the issues with product and we need to be making sure the product uh, has this information so that they can act on it. Right. And, and I, I think within customer success, right, we, we talk about being this, um, you know, evangelist for, for the customers, right, or this trusted advisor. Yeah. I, I think that evangelism activity happens, you know, certainly with our customers and evangelizing the product and the features they should be using and things. But I also have this sense that, you know, customer success and CSMs need to be the evangelist internally as well. And they need to be the people that are out, you know, trying to tell the story of what their customers are trying to achieve. And, if they can't launch because of this one bug, like what is the pain that some of their users are, are feeling? Um, yeah. I certainly think that that's a responsibility that falls in, in customer success lap. Yeah, and it's something like, at least for most people that I've spoken to so far, uh, it's something that they want to be doing, but it's never done enough and it's never, maybe the voice is never allowed enough inside internally within the organization because they are the closest to the voice of customer. They're hearing the problems and pain points all day, every day. Uh, yet still like uh, some of them don't have the voice that they need to have within the organizations in order to impact and make changes. Um, great. So um, in Brian, like we're running up on time here as well. And uh, I just want to like, before we go, um, what's like another sort of tidbit that you'd maybe give to the audience and say, okay, like uh, getting started now, like building out your team um, what would be like the first two, three things they should think about now in the context of churn and retention, uh, trying to build out a team that's going to be like you built out at Looker that's aligned, that's uh, focused and uh, sort of working together in unison? I, I, I mean, the first piece of advice that, that I can offer is, you know, understand that this is going to be a journey. Um, the, the, the CSM organization has been shaped uh, uh, over, a, you know, five plus years um, and it is, it's going to require a lot of change. Uh, I, I can confidently say that, you know, when I look forward as to what customer success will be in the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, it's going to look very, very different than it does today. You know, I really wish that I could look back and read about how customer success teams have been shaped and formed. And there's a codified playbook. And, and you see that in marketing, you see that in sales, you know, historical business has been around since the, I don't know, 1920s, 1930s, modern, modern business books have been published to demonstrate how mature you know, sales teams and marketing teams have been built and shaped in various industries. You can go read all of those things. 
customer success is just really young. <laughs> I mean, this, the, this industry came about when it was, you know, Salesforce actually instituting this notion of subscription revenue. So, yeah. I mean, beyond a couple of books that have been written in the last, you know, five, 10 years, there's not a tremendous amount of things that are out in the, you know, the, the, the universe to go and read and study. So I, I believe that this industry is very nascent. It's new, it's early, it's exciting. Um, and you know, we all are trying to figure it out. I've, I've talked to hundreds, maybe even thousands CSM candidates at this point, and each customer success department that they are working with currently is structured differently. Some yep. are more on the commercial aspect of the relationship with customers. Some are more on the product engagement adoption. Everybody is figuring it out. And so I would say that, you know, as a, a newer and younger company that is, you know, just getting kind of this, this retention strategy team trying to figure it out, just feel confident and know that, you know, there is no playbook. Like we are still all as an industry trying to figure it out. That'd be the first thing. But then the second thing is to guide your assumptions. I'm going to stress this again, come back to data. Like you need to institute this early and often and, and prove in meetings with your CSMs, with your customers that you have a good view of the world and that you're not just focusing on one component of data, quantitative or, or qualitative. You need to focus on both. Um, and then really, I mean, you know, but throughout everything you do, just make sure you have empathy for the customer. Um, I know that we can kind of focus on like the tactical deliverables with customers, um, but really understand that the reason why, you know, CSMs actually have a job is because there is an intersection point between uh, somebody trying to do a certain thing with software and that being difficult or hard or they need help. Uh, and so, you know, more often than not, you know, just have empathy for the person that you're working with. Um, and those three, you know, if you're, if you're doing that, you know, I think focusing on data, um, you know, really making sure that, that you're, you're empathetic with customers and just knowing that, you know, hey, you, we're figuring all of this out. You, you can have a good path for success set up for, for your future. Absolutely. So what you're saying is like you really need to be able to embrace uncertainty and it's a path that you need to adapt and change constantly in the space. Uh, like I say, innovating as well, I guess, is another aspect that's important because it's the roadmap's not laid out for you and using like data is quantitative, qualitative. Um, but uh, like the last step in you mentioned it is like empathy is like just keeping true to that, that customer success wouldn't be here if you weren't building these relationships and empathizing with your customers. I love it. Uh, so Brian, like just maybe you want to let the audience know how they can keep up with your work, anything you'd like to recommend before we end today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I live in San Francisco. I'm more than happy to meet up with any sort of, uh, you know, customer success community member here in, in, in the city. Um, I'm going to have my, my LinkedIn, I believe, linked in the, the, the profile page. Uh, so you can reach out to me there. And then if a, any, any companies that are listening that are first round companies, I'm part of the first round uh, mentorship community. And so I'm, I'm mentoring actively uh, uh, two companies um, you know, on how they can get their uh, customer success team uh, up and running. So again, if you, anybody in the, the first round family is listening, um, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email address is, is simple. It's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at looker.com. Um, and yeah, really look forward to, to, you know, connecting with more of you. Amazing. Thanks very much, Brian. It's been a pleasure having you on the show today and I uh, wish you best of luck now going forward. Cheers, Andrew. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, 
blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.